You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. And they told me they were watching the airport and Greyhound stations and told me that it would be impossible to leave the city. I never told my parents about it because they don't believe anything I say, so I kept quiet. Does he know you're putting him on blast on Reddit? And I answered, maybe. Maybe it would make him angry. I know the real answer now. He did see it, and he did not like it. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. This episode is sponsored by Wondery's I Hear Fear podcast, a new anthology series of suspenseful stories hosted by actress Carrie Mulligan. Prime members can listen to the Amazon Music exclusive podcast, I Hear Fear, in the Amazon Music app. Download the app today. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. This week, I'm bringing you three true, horrifying tales and a listener voicemail that will frighten and disturb. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. Here's to hoping everyone had a fun and safe Halloween and hoping you enjoyed our Halloween episode. I know we had a lot of fun putting it together for you. We open the show hearing from an anonymous Reddit user with the story being verified by Reddit, featuring voice work by Matt Bradford, and we make our great escape. A long time ago, I made one of the worst decisions in my life. I began dealing for a well-known biker gang. And no, I wasn't a member, but I had connections to one of their members through my mutual friend, Josh. I had a short history in dealing years before, but got clean and walked the straight and narrow. I worked three jobs and was saving for college. However, tragedy struck when a very close relative of mine was murdered by her new husband while they were traveling in his home country. What made this even more difficult is that they had canceled their life insurance, so the cost of returning them to our country and the funeral arrangements fell on me and two other close relatives. Now, this isn't an excuse for what I did. I just wanted to provide some context to what was going through my head when I met with Josh and asked to set up a meeting with his relative, Mike, who was a member of a well-known biker gang, so I could get back on my feet financially. If you're asking why I didn't just pursue one of the million other avenues for financial assistance, it's because I was young, stupid, and wanted to replace that lost feeling with something I thought would make me feel better about myself at the time. So I gather a team of hand-picked dealers at my house and waited for Mike to come by and discuss business. 
and soon enough he arrives with two pounds of weed to front to me. My plan was to only involve myself by distributing to my runners so that I could work my regular jobs while making a passive income. Just as a side note, I had known Mike for about a year at this point, which is why so much was given up front. I mean, the term front means to loan, and the term runner refers to a dealer who works for you. Things went well over the next year and a half. My team expanded, I was making a ton of money. I sold the weed to my runners by the ounce, paid a discount per the pound, and was making hundreds in profit a week and thousands a month. I was happy and Mike was happy, and he only ever had to deal with me and never had to meet or address any of my runners. However, this is where the story takes a drastic turn for the worse, and why you should never trust a biker gang, especially when you're not working on the inside. I had just hired a good friend of mine as a runner. She needed money, was a single mother and wanted to sell it to her friends who came over and always needed weed. The girl ended up selling through ounces faster than anyone else, so I trusted her with more product to sell at once, since I would have to come back two or three times a week. However, I was going on vacation for three weeks and wanted to make sure that she had access to enough while I was away, so I left her with a lot more than I usually would. When I returned, I had come to collect, and everybody but her was up to date on their payments, and after excuse after excuse... She came to me to inform me that her new scale was set to the wrong measurement system and that she was out a good amount. I mean, I was upset and nearly kicked her off the team. I've known this girl for years and it wasn't anything I couldn't recover on my own. However, she came to me when I was supposed to meet up with Mike and re-up and collect more product. And because this took a lot longer than I thought, I was late to meet him. Now, remember when I said that you should never trust a biker gang unless you operate on the inside? Well, I met up with Mike to let him know what happened, apologized for being late, and informed them that the situation had been dealt with. But Mike was furious. He tells me that because I was late, he was late meeting his connect for the weed, and since he was late, this connect would never deal with him again. He told me to meet him at Josh's house and to bring who was responsible for making me late, and if I didn't bring them, then I would be held accountable because this connect had made him $5,000 a week in profit. Yeah, you heard that right. This man told him that him being late once dissolved a profitable relationship with a connect that earned him $5,000 a week. And I already knew what this meant for my runner. We were good friends, and there was no way I was going to allow a single mother to go through what I knew was coming. So I showed up to Josh's house on my own and waited for Mike. I sat on Josh's couch for what felt like hours by myself and uncertain of the extent of what was going to happen. Then Mike walks in, greets Josh, talks with his partners a bit, while completely ignoring me. First five minutes go by, then ten minutes. Then Mike walks over and I remember waking up on the floor. From what I was told, Mike hit me across the head and I blacked out. He proceeded to hit me for two or three more minutes until I woke up to him still hitting me. We then sat on the couch, and with a handgun to my head, he tells me he's going to charge me the profit he would have made every week from his connect for the next year. For those keeping track, that's $260,000. He tells me he's going to be generous enough to do the first payment of $5,000 within 48 hours. The money I just gave him for my re-up didn't count. That I needed to return the weed, and that he was giving me 24 hours for each additional $5,000 after that. And he took my car, which he underpriced at $10,000. This is a newish Mercedes at the time that I was still making payments on, 
and he essentially planned on using me as a human ATM. At this point, I knew what was happening, and despite our relationship for the past year, he was going to exploit me for as long as he could until he had a reason to get rid of me. So uh, I went home and thought about my options. I had around $17,000 in cash, my RRSPs, and savings, which amounted to just over $35,000. But even that would only get me by on the payments for one week. I mean, I realized that even if I were able to come up with half the money, I would still end up in jail or worse. After 24 hours of deliberating, I considered the fact that Mike had never met any of my runners, and my family had moved away from the town after the death of the relative, and there's no way I was going to risk my life or my freedom for some arbitrary debt. So I took all my cash, made my savings available, and I knew I only had 24 hours to run as far and fast as I could. It's 4.30 a.m., I gathered a bag of clothes, called a lifelong friend of mine who had moved to another country four hours away, explained the situation, and asked if I could stay on his couch for a week, and took a bus as close to the Greyhound station as I could get without stopping in front of it. The Greyhound didn't require photo ID at the time, and I didn't want to fly out of my own city in case anyone saw me, or Mike was able to figure out where I was going by pressing any of the airport staff. At this point, my heart was beating out of my chest because although the Greyhound isn't as busy as the airport, if Mike or anyone he knew saw me there, it was game over. I waited an hour, then walked inside, and bought a ticket for a city three and a half hours away that had an airport. Before boarding, I wrote down all my important contacts, removed the battery from my phone, dropped it down the sewer, and began my escape. 8.15 a.m., I stop in said city and buy a ticket to go and meet said friend. 12.30 p.m. I land in a country I've never been to, in a city I've never been to. My friend picks me up and we talk about the situation the entire way home. Him and I had a similar past and although the story itself is ridiculous, he understands. When we arrive at his place, I cut my hair, then I decide on a new name I'll go by while staying in the city while deciding my next move. I get a new prepaid phone and number and try to relax. 6 p.m. I was supposed to meet Mike 30 minutes ago. The stress starts to kick in. 8 p.m. We've been drinking and telling stories, and I remember that I hadn't deleted my Facebook. So I jumped onto my friend's laptop, threw on a VPN that was located in my home country, and was met with a flood of messages. Josh and Mike had kicked in my front door and destroyed my place. They left messages with the addresses of places they thought I was hiding out and they told me they were watching the airport and Greyhound stations, and told me that it would be impossible to leave the city. It was at that point that I realized they never knew I left. Throughout the coming weeks, months, and years, I made a habit of changing phones, and moved around from city to city and country to country. I even did those work-for-your-accommodation programs in a couple of countries as a tourist, Every few weeks and months, I would get an email from a single friend back home who would tell me that Joshua's girlfriend were telling people to assure me that it was okay to come back, and that things had blown over. A couple times, I even tried to reach out to some other friends back home, only to find out that they were trying to cash in on the reward Mike had placed to anyone who could find out where I was. It eventually became easier to cut contact with anyone and everyone around me if I felt that I needed to move or I felt that I couldn't entirely trust them. I could never go back to who I was or where I came from physically or mentally. I later found out that Mike had a nasty habit of hiring dealers. Then, when he thought they had made a good amount of money, 
would conjure up some dire situation in which they would need to pay him back a crazy amount. He would drain them for every dime they had until they couldn't pay anymore. After that, it would usually end up in a ditch somewhere. One of his associates, who happened to be my next-door neighbor back home, was recently charged for a first-degree murder after taking a woman out to the woods and killing her. Now, although this did a number of my trust issues, I made a lot of changes throughout my life since the event. I've changed my name, obviously. I'm a lot older now, and I have an amazing corporate position in a company that changes lives. I also speak to schools about the impact of poverty, and it's taught me to empathize with people in different positions than my own. I own a condo in a very beautiful city. I'm engaged. I took up learning a second language, and I never take the second chance I've been given for granted. I've been clean for a long time now. I've never told anyone in my new life about what's happened. I don't even think they would believe me. Even though I take full responsibility for my stupidity in my younger years, to that biker that is waiting to collect on his ridiculous $260,000 debt, let's not meet again. Do you have your own terrifying encounter? Did something unexplained happen to you? Let us know and get featured on the podcast. Email mystoryatdisturbedpodcast.com Up next, we have a listener submission from Trina, featuring voice work by Danuta Marie, and we meet the Dark One. This paranormal event happened five years ago, when I was ending my seventh grade year. I shared a room with my sister at the time. We had a bunk bed that was on the other side of the room where we faced the door from the opposite corner. I've never had any paranormal experiences before this event, but I've messed around with friends joking about things paranormal to scare each other, like the Charlie Charlie challenge and stupid things like that as a kid. One night, I fell asleep with a weird feeling like something was off, but brushed it off and was able to fall asleep. I woke up with the same feeling, but stronger, much more stronger than before. I was wide awake and confused. I checked my alarm clock to see what time it was, and it read 3.21 a.m. I sat up and something caught my eye right in front of my bedroom door, blocking it. It was an outline of a man, so dark you couldn't see any details like clothing or even eyes. The edges of it were a bit fuzzy. But the weird thing is, the light from the nightlight went behind him, not in front of him. It was like it was being pulled in by it. After staring at it confused, trying to show no fear, I slowly laid back down, not taking my eyes off it, and fell back asleep. When I woke up next, it was light out, and my sister was already awake and downstairs. I quickly sat up to make sure it was gone and got out of bed and looked around in the spot it had been standing. I never told my parents about it because they don't believe anything I say, so I kept quiet. The next couple of nights up until we moved were really scary. Every night, I would wake up exactly at 3.21 a.m. and I would hear footsteps right above my room in the attic. They were heavy like a man wearing work boots. I told my parents about hearing weird noises in the attic, and they said it's because I'm tired and it's late at night, so I'm dreaming. I assure you, I was wide awake. I would pinch myself to make sure I was awake and not dreaming. I asked my sister if she saw or heard any of this too. She said no. 
We were forced to move because we couldn't pay the bills anymore, so we moved into my grandma's basement, and nothing like this has happened in her house. We built that house, so there was no history on it unless something happened when it was being built. I have recently read up on the hat man and wondered if it was the same thing, but I was able to move and I wasn't in any sort of sleep paralysis. The thing also didn't have a hat, just a normalish shaped head. I've tried looking up what it could be, but I can't find anything on it. Every now and then, I'll see a silhouette of a person in my peripheral vision, but it's a light silhouette, not a dark one. Nothing happens after seeing it, but I don't know why I see them. If you know what it could have been, please let me know. I still feel like the dark one is around me and waiting for something. I want to understand more about what it is, why it's here, and why it chose me over someone else. And lastly, if this thing is waiting for something, I really don't want to know what it is they want. Are you loving the show? Let us know with a positive rating and review. In return, we'll help you hide the body. We're fresh off the heels of our Halloween episode, which features an immersive audio experience and custom music score to give you that feeling of being right in the story. Now, if that immersive audio experience is something you love, then I've got something else you need to hear. From Amazon Music, I Hear Fear is a new anthology series of suspenseful stories hosted by actress Carrie Mulligan. And in each episode, you'll be treated to a new psychological thriller, episodes featuring a forest monster who lures teens into the woods and never lets them return, or a line of beauty products that takes the search for youth to dark extremes, and even an EDM party that turns deadly when the DJ takes over more than just the dance floor. Now these might sound like urban legends, but I Hear Fear proves that the scariest stories of all are the ones that are true. Something that you guys know all too well. I Hear Fear will introduce immersive horror and lead you straight into the heart of darkness. And these stories are inspired by true events and real places, so the next sound you hear could be your own scream. This podcast comes highly recommended by yours truly. I took a listen and was completely blown away by what I heard. Prime members can listen to the Amazon Music exclusive podcast, I Hear Fear, in the Amazon Music app. Download the app today. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence and give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Want to listen to Disturbed ad-free? Of course you do. Go to disturbedpodcast.com slash support to get your access today. Now back to the deliciously frightful. 
Disturbed Podcast with your host, Chad. Coming up next, we have a listener voicemail from Chase, and he details his experiences growing up in his childhood home. My name is Chase. I'm a big fan of the podcast. I figured I'd share an experience I had when I was a kid. This happened when I was six. I'm 25 now. I have ADHD. Uh, I've always suffered from a very overactive imagination. And as a kid, this led to a lot of intense nightmares. To rectify that, I would wake up in the middle of the night terrified and head upstairs to my parents' room and fall asleep on the floor on my mother's side of the bed. It was very comforting to me as a kid. One night, I had a particularly bad nightmare. I woke up at probably two or three in the morning and I grabbed my blanket and I made my way upstairs shivering. I laid down on my mom's side of the bed on the floor to go to bed and I closed my eyes and after a few minutes, I hear a groaning voice that sounds like my father downstairs in the dining room yell my name. And I didn't think anything of it. I thought maybe I was hearing things. So I tried to go back to bed. After a few more minutes, I heard it bark my name again, very angrily this time. So thinking my father had found something downstairs that I had left dirty or not put away, I stood up and started making my way to the stairwell to go downstairs and see him. And I heard my mother stir in bed and I turn around and I look at her and I see my father laying in bed sound asleep. So me, six years old, not knowing what that was, immediately thinks that's a ghost. I'm terrified. I don't wake my parents. I'm like, maybe it's a nightmare. I'm just going to try to go back to bed. So I'm already shaken from the nightmare that I had had earlier. So sleep did not come to me. And over the next few minutes, I heard what sounded like work boots, like heavy footfalls downstairs in the dining room. And the layout of my house is from my parents' room, you head downstairs into the computer room. Across from the computer room is the kitchen, which is right under my parents' room. And right across from the kitchen in the same direction as the dining room. So I heard these footfalls in the dining room, and over the next few minutes, it sounded like they were getting closer and closer to the kitchen. All the while, this voice, this sourceless voice that sounds like my father is barking my name angrily, willing me to come downstairs. Uh, Over the next what felt like hour, it walked across the kitchen into the computer room, and at the foot of the stairs, very clearly yelled my name, just said, Chase. And I sent shivers down my spine. I was six. I was thinking like, I'm going to die. I'm either going to go missing or I'm going to die. I have lived a good life. So I hear what sounds like these stairs were old. So I hear the sound of wood creaking as a weight is being pressed against each stair. Something is climbing up towards my parents' room. It was like three in the morning at this point, but it felt like it was getting darker the closer this source got to me. And the room was getting noticeably colder for me. Over the next, like, probably 10 minutes, I just, I heard step by step, very slowly and deliberately, this thing coming up the stairs towards me. And I was crying. I was thinking, I'm going to die tonight. My parents are going to wake up and I'm going to be gone. It gets to the top of the stairs and I feel this weight, this dread, this heaviness in my stomach, in my heart, in my chest. And just then, my mother stirs in bed and wakes up. She sits up groggy and sees me and asks what I'm doing up and turns on the bedside lamp and this presence vanishes. To this day, I still have no idea what that was. It gave me night terrors for the next several weeks. 
which obviously meant more of me going up to my parents' room and sleeping by the side of my mother's bed. When I got older, when I turned 18, I moved out due to complications with living at home. I moved in with my best friend and I told uh, his mother this story and she's very spiritual, just like my mom was. And when I told her this story, I like kind of laughed with her like, I know, overactive imagination. And she smiled at me and she goes, oh no, sweetie, that was a demon. And I kind of looked at her, I was like, what? There are people, herself included, who had the belief that people like my father, who were not great people uh, spiritually or morally, left themselves spiritually open to demons and spirits. So they were susceptible to malevolent spirits. And her and a couple people who could corroborate that idea believe that what I heard was a malicious entity or a demon trying to either get into my father's head or possess me. My mother was very spiritual, very spiritual. Uh, people said that she was like a font of the light of Jesus. So a lot of people who I've told the story to say that whatever this entity was disappeared when she came to consciousness. I do believe in spirits and the paranormal. I've not had many experiences since then and none that were as terrifying or as vivid as that. And I'm 25 now. But I just, I figured I would share my story. I'm a big fan of the podcast. I love what you guys do. I listen every week and I would absolutely love to be featured on it. It's, it's very cool to me. Thank you very much. Are you terrified yet? You will be. And finally, we close out the show hearing from Reddit user UpsetZucchini6687, featuring voice work by Sarah Thomas. And we have a stalker situation. Quick backstory. I've had a stalker for about four years. He was never aggressive or sent me proper threats, so... Stubborn as I am, I did my best to ignore him and not give him the satisfaction of showing him any fear. To be honest, after a while, I also wasn't scared anymore, since he almost never came close to me. I know being stalked can affect people severely, even in a case like mine, and that's totally valid. But I guess I just got lucky and was never really psychologically affected by it. His stalking behavior mostly just consisted of sending me letters and gifts, such as photos of my own apartment building from the outside, things he dug out of my trash can, and so on. I called the police many times, but they weren't able to, or really tried, to be honest, catch or identify him. About three weeks ago, I discovered the German version of r IMA and thought that people might want to know about what it's like to have a stalker. Since I barely use any social media aside from Reddit and have no personally identifying information here, I didn't think he'd ever see it. One person even asked, does he know you're putting him on blast on Reddit? And I answered, maybe. Maybe it would make him angry. Maybe he'd be turned on. Don't know, don't care. Well, I know the real answer now. He did see it, and he did not like it. Like I said, he was never aggressive and never came close to me. The closest I know of was when he sent me a picture of myself unlocking my apartment door, taken from the corner of the steps above. Sorry if that makes no sense. I don't know how else to explain it. But I consider myself a pretty vigilant person, and I'm thinking that he might have hidden a camera there instead of being there to take the photo himself. I think I would have noticed him if he did. I don't know how he got wind of the IMA, but he did. The next week was quiet. 
no letters, and I didn't see him anywhere. Then he left letters with printed out questions and my answers from the IMA. He also left me a long, hateful letter towards my boyfriend about an issue I posted on the German version of Am I the Asshole? His letters were never hateful like that before, though he never seemed happy with my boyfriend. He wrote about how I should share the spotlight with him since I got so much attention thanks to him. A few days later, I got a gift, but this time he didn't leave it in my mailbox or at my car like he usually did. No, this time he left it inside the apartment building, right in front of my door. I didn't take it inside my apartment, but opened it outside. It was a pretty big box, which was also unusual, and it was taped shut. As I'm typing it out, I realized that wasn't a good idea at all and could have ended badly for me, but luckily he didn't send me a bomb or anything. He did, however, send me several zip ties, a roll of tape, the kind you use to tape off walls when painting, nothing you could use to restrain someone, a remote with most buttons picked off, a pack of band-aids with a few used ones, not actually, just made to look that way according to the police, and a framed picture of me. I could tell the picture was taken a few days ago, and my boyfriend was next to me but cut out of the photo. The frame was shattered, and the package was full of glass shards, clearly more than just what could have fallen out of the frame, and they were also intentionally put inside the crumpled newspaper that was stuffed in there to keep it all in place. I called the police right away and gave it to them. They were more concerned this time, finally, thanks, and told me they'd send patrol cars more frequently. He didn't show up or leave me any letters or gifts for about another week and a half. But eight days ago, it started again. I found letters in my mailbox where he wrote about how he wasted his time on me, how I haven't been appreciating his effort, how he was wrong about me being special. Five days ago, I left my apartment in the morning and heard a crunch sound as I stepped on my doormat. He put broken glass under it in the night. I went off to work because I was in a hurry and was just going to make my boyfriend call the police. But then I found my car had also been vandalized. The sides were scratched, lights smashed, and the windshield had a phrase painted on it. It's time soon, miss, my last name. I went back inside and called the cops myself. They found the same phrase on a note under the doormat. This time, they really, really, really took me seriously, which might have been because I was just pissed at this point, which I made very clear. If for some reason you're like me and just too stubborn to be afraid of a stalker like mine, then all of this, the letters, gifts, photos, even the damn glass under my doormat are just really annoying and inconvenient. But my car was useless to me now and the threat scared even me. I did, however, have a dash cam in my car and it caught everything. The police said they took the footage as evidence, even though the dash cam footage wasn't of high quality and I'd had given them photos of him that were just as good before, but they said it wasn't enough. And they told me they'd look into it further and promise to send more patrol cars again. Then it was quiet for two more days. Until two days ago, someone rang the doorbell at just after 4 a.m. My boyfriend and I got up, but we were both hesitant. But I saw blue lights outside, and just as I got up, I heard them shouting, this is the police, please open the door. They told us they were called by one of our downstairs neighbors, who came home from his night shift about an hour earlier. 
and heard someone else enter the building after them before the door fell shut. My neighbors know of my situation, and I've asked them to make sure they don't let strangers into the building. This neighbor then went into his own apartment and looked through the peephole. We have a motion-activated light in the stairway, so he waited to see if they turned back on. They did. They saw a middle-aged man walk upstairs. Above this neighbor are only me and my boyfriend, and a single mom with three kids who probably won't be getting any visitors at 3 a.m. So he called the police. They came and found my stalker one half floor above me on the stairs. He should have been able to see the cop cars since there's a little window up there and they had their lights on, but he either missed them or wanted to get caught. They found a pocket knife on him and he confessed to being my stalker right away. He's finally caught. They got him. It took four years, a proactive Reddit post, and one very vigilant and caring neighbor. But he's finally done. For now, at least. He's facing several charges, and I've collected every single piece of evidence over the past four years. I don't know what kind of outcome I can expect, but for now, I finally got some peace. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. Don't forget you can send in your own true terrifying tale. Head over to disturbedpodcast.com slash submit to find out how. If you'd like to support the show and gain access to bonus episodes, ad-free content, and early releases, visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcasts. Or if you're an Apple user, subscribe directly in Apple Podcasts. And a big thanks to our newest supporters, David Jackson, Kiroi Haku, Gage Ruffcorn, Cassie Dern, and Rolls-Royce 2702. Thanks to all of you for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.